All right, we're going to jump in. Are you guys ready? All right, you guys still with me? You tracking with me? All right, all right, good. All right, so back in 2016, I had the opportunity to take my first international trip. Uh, I got to do a missions trip to Nepal with Mike, uh, which is an experience if any of you have ever gone anywhere with Mike, even just walking down the bike path. So as soon as we landed in Kathmandu, we jumped on a bus and we started what we were told was going to be a six-hour drive across the country. 24 hour, over 24 hours later, we finally arrived at our destination. About halfway through the trip, we made, we made several stops, but about halfway through the trip, I remember making this stop uh, so we could get some food and fill up the gas tank. And at this point in the trip, several of us had piles of trash on the bus seat next to us. And uh, Paul Sliwa, uh, one of our Wasilla campus pastors, he, he and his wife, Emily, they come up to me and they're like, hey, Cody, uh, what, do you, what do you think we should do with all of our trash? And I knew what the answer was just as much as they did. And none of us were really excited about it. Uh, as I looked out the street, out, out the window at the streets, I could see just litter everywhere. And I knew where, it didn't matter what we did with the trash, I knew where it was going to end up. None of us had seen a trash can since we got to the country, and we had all seen the locals just pitching their trash right out the window. And Paul and Emily, they looked at me with shock and a little disgust when I said, I think we just throw it out. And they're like, I don't know. You, I think we should ask Mike. Cody, will you will, go ask Mike what he thinks? So now I'm feeling like guilty that I ever made the suggestion that we should litter. And I go up to Mike and I ask him, Mike, what, what, what should we do with our trash? And Mike looked at me with his big doe eyes and with all the love and all the compassion that he could muster up, which you know isn't a whole lot. And he said, what do you think you're gonna do with it? He, know what you should do? You should pick up every piece of trash that you see on this trip and you put it in your bag. And when we get back to Kathmandu, you can ship it all home. So when you get home, you can go recycle it. How about that? And he took the piece of trash out of my hand and he threw it up in the air and he started to walk away. And then he turned around as if I wasn't feeling dumb enough. He turned around and he goes, you, you know what you should do? On the 10 days that you're in Nepal, you should, you should work at reforming the whole country's sanitation system. Maybe that's what you could do on the 10 days that we're here. I, I saw him this morning. Mike, I, I don't know if I ever got to ch had the chance to tell you. I, I was just asking for a friend. <laughs> I don't know how wise the answer I received was but it was the truth. <laughs> that's what we're going to be getting into with this series that we're beginning today. Uh, that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. For the next six weeks, we're going to be in this series. It's called Asking for a Friend. And we're going to be looking at the Proverbs and wise answers that Solomon and Hezekiah's men give to tough questions. We've all probably encountered 
tough questions, tough things that a friend needed to know about, right? Hard situations that somebody else was going through that we wanted to help them out with some advice. So we, we asked for a friend. To start this series off, we're gonna be looking at pride and humility. And I've titled this message today, It's Hard to Be Humble. Pride keeps you quiet. When there's hard situations that come up in your life, I mean, in the lives of your friends, um, pride tells your friends that they can figure it out on their own. You don't need any help. Pride keeps me from asking tough questions. Because I, you know what? I just, I don't want to ask somebody else because I don't want them to think I'm dumb. I don't want to lower myself in somebody in the, in the eyes of someone else. So, so I keep quiet. Pride, guys, I'm talking to the men. It, it's pride that keeps you from asking for help with things in your life. Ladies, you should know something about us guys. We do not like to feel. It is the worst thing for a man to feel incompetent. Amen, guys? They're like, shut up. Stop telling them. <laughs> well, guys, the book of Proverbs is here to help us. God has preserved this book, all these wise sayings down through the centuries so we could have them at our disposal. So we could have some wise some good wisdom to build our lives around. So we could have words of wisdom for life's dilemmas. The book of Proverbs will lay a foundation of competency for you in your life. The book of Proverbs begins like this in chapter one. I'm sure that's the way Solomon started off. The Proverbs of Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Solomon, he begins the book. He begins his writing with the purpose of the whole book. The Lord has preserved this book for us with a purpose. See, in the Hebrew mind, to know wisdom was to actually put the instructions that you were giving, given into practice. Failing to do what we know is the right thing to do, failing to walk out instructions well, that's the very definition of foolishness. Which, if any of you guys are like me, you throw the directions away and you participate in foolishness when you're doing something. The main goal of the book of Proverbs is to bring God's truth into focus so we can see life from the perspective of our creator. So we can understand his all-knowing, all-seeing point of view. And then once we have that, we can live according to his perspective. Proverbs teaches us how we can gain wisdom. Proverbs teaches us 
to be humble so we can take the correction of the Lord. So that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be empowered to walk worthy of the call that the Lord, that the Father God has given to us for our life. The word understanding here is crucial. Some translations, they substitute the word understanding for discern. Discerning is the ability to look at something, to look at a situation and to, to see the moving parts, to be able to like see all the things that are going on and weigh out the variables, variables. because it's, it's very rare that anything in our life is perfectly black and white. Like we, we experience this life, there's a lot of gray area. Things are never super clear. Rarely are they super clear. Usually there's a lot of variables and we have to discern which way to go. A discerning mind has the ability to think critically, to sift out the truth from the error and to anticipate the likely consequences of any choice that we make. Verse three says, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Receive, in the Hebrew, it has the idea of mobility. It means like to, to take something, not to just to receive something, not just to get something, but to get it and take it with you. Like, pulling a trailer with all of your stuff in it. You receive wisdom and then you take it with you. In this case, when we approach the Proverbs, when we approach the Proverbs with a teachable spirit, God's word gives us instruction in how we behave wisely. The Proverbs make us alert for the journey ahead of us. Any of you who have taken a road trip in Alaska or even just driven down to Wasilla in the last year, you're probably well aware that unfortunate circumstances come up when you're on the road. If you use Google Maps sometimes to get somewhere in Wasilla that you don't know exactly where it is, it might lead you down the wrong road it may take you on the wrong turn. Sometimes you get flat tires. You have a bad navigator sitting next to you. Sorry, Dylan. Uh, you experience unexpected snowstorms. I'm talking about me, not Emily. There's oncoming vehicles with blinding LED lights. Uh, those should be outlawed. If any of you have those, please repent. Uh, you might be like my kids and you have a tone-deaf pilot who loves to sing. Sometimes there's meandering moose. Ah. When we're out on the road and it's been a long day, sometimes our alertness is diminished and we need something to help. We need something to get our mind sharp. That's the same with life. When we're on the journey of life, sometimes our alertness gets diminished. We need to be attentive to the surroundings that we have in our life. And the Proverbs help keep our mind sharp. 
They make us aware of potential dangers as we journey through life. Verse four, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The young and the simple, they're not properly equipped. You can't accomplish much You can't accomplish as much as people who are properly equipped. Some some readers and hearers of the Proverbs, some of you may be a little bit older than others of us. But none of us have arrived. We are all still on life's journey. We are all young and naive in some aspect of our life. None of us have it all figured out. But the book of Proverbs assures us that these sayings will equip us for life's challenges. And the wisdom that God offers to us, it gives us hope. Verse five says, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying the words of the wise and their riddles. The wisdom found in Proverbs helps us to keep our minds sharp. Now, if you have ever sharpened a knife, you know that keeping something sharp, it requires friction. Gaining wisdom, gaining knowledge, it can be challenging. That's why Breck is super excited to not be in school anymore because it's a challenge, but he's smart and he's going to continue his education. He's putting another challenge in front of himself in his life. Good for you, buddy. Having this knowledge, being rooted in wisdom, being rooted in the wisdom of the Lord helps us to prepare our minds so that we can cut through lies. We can root out deception when the enemy is trying to knock us off course. Wisdom gives us the ability to understand the dilemmas that life brings to us. But unfortunately, the way we read Proverbs sometimes, the way we study this book, it can sometimes cause us deeper dilemmas. Because we tend to cling to some of these words that we find in Proverbs because we see them incorrectly. We see the Proverbs sometimes as promises, as, as, as absolutes. We, we claim them sometimes in church world as promises from God. But it's important for us to understand the Proverbs are principles for life, not promises. These Proverbs are general principles for how the world that God created operates and how they're not true in every situation, which we're going to see when we get to the book of Ecclesiastes soon. Solomon is going to wrestle with this fact. We can't literally apply each proverb in our life. But if we take the wisdom of Proverbs seriously, in most cases, the result will be favorable in our life. 
we have to understand God's word is preserved for us in the form of a lot of different kinds of writing. Your Bible is written in many different literary styles. In your Bible, you have historical narrative. You have poetry. There's apocalyptic literature. There's epistles. These are all different styles of writing and all of them, the Holy Spirit inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired human authors to write the Bible in all these different genres. But each of them have their own interpretive principles that need to be applied. We have to be mindful of this. And if we ignore this fact, we will go to each type of writing and we may misunderstand what God is trying to communicate to us. And when it comes to the Proverbs, it is very important for us to realize that they are not promises. They are principles for our understanding. So we understand the way of life. So we understand this human experience and how it generally plays out. Proverbs describe probable outcomes, not guarantees. If I were to quote a modern proverb to you, like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Something I'd venture to guess that we've all heard in our life. Now, it is true. If you eat fruits like apples, if you have a diet that's full of vegetables and other healthy food in general, you'll probably be a healthy person. But it isn't a guarantee, especially, uh, especially if you smother the apples in caramel and bake them into pies. no guarantee that if you eat an apple every day, you're never going to need to see a doctor. We all know that that's not the case. But that doesn't mean these words are a lie. It doesn't mean that's a lie. If you have a healthy diet, you will generally find yourself being healthy. But it's not a guarantee. It's not a promise. Now let's apply this to one of the Proverbs, to an actual proverb. Let's look at chapter 16, verse seven. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, you feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the apostle Paul, I'm pretty sure the way that he lived his life after his conversion was pleasing to the Lord. He was a man that we can see from the, from the account of scripture that he presented the gospel faithfully. He wrote a large portion of scripture to equip the church. Yet he still had a lot of enemies trying to kill him. Those enemies actually succeeded. Church history tells us that he had his head forcibly removed from his body. That's not a very peaceful description. That doesn't mean that God didn't keep his promise to Paul because it's a principle. It's not a promise. What the book of Proverbs describes for us are principles that are normative 
not inevitable. So today we're going to look at a few principles in the Proverbs so that we can better understand how we can pursue humility and not pride. So I'm gonna look at this list in Galatians chapter five. There's this list of qualities in Galatians 5 that our life takes on when we are infilled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this list, you don't see humility. And I think, this is my opinion, that humility doesn't make this list because we have to be in pursuit of humility already for any of these other qualities to show up in our lives. We have to be in the pursuit of humility for the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. We have to be in pursuit of humility for the fruit of living the victorious, spirit-filled life to show up in our lives. All of the good qualities that the believer displays have an element of humility within them. You can't have love You can't be authentically joyful. You can't have true peace. You can't really be patient. You can't display real kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control if you aren't pursuing humility first. I don't think you can display any of those qualities unless you are in pursuit of humility. Humility relinquishes control of yourself to the spirit of God. Pride says you take control. Pride wants to hold on to the outcomes of our life. Pride wants to navigate and direct where we should go. All throughout Proverbs, there are these nuggets of truth when it comes to this dichotomy between pride and humility. Pride and humility, they play a pivotal role in every positive and every negative outcome that is described throughout the book of Proverbs. Humility will strengthen your relationship with the Lord. Humility will strengthen, guys, your relationship with your wife. Ladies, it'll strengthen your relationship with your children. Humility shows up in how we deal with our finances. Humility shows up in our work ethic. Humility and pride will dictate whether you are greedy or whether you are generous. All these areas that Proverbs speaks powerfully to, we're going to be studying those in the coming weeks of the series. But since pride and humility play the vital role in which way you go in many of these areas, today we're gonna look at how to pursue humility. To properly pursue humility, first we have to define humility. To be humble and not proud, we have to know what we're aiming at. Years ago, when Sophie and I lived in Wasilla and I was pounding nails for a living, 
on the job one day, uh, my friend Zach and I, uh, we're talking about pride and humility. We're having a conversation about this. And in our conversation, we concluded that even simply recognizing uh, humility in yourself was an act of pride. To which one of the guys we work with, he piped up in disagreement and said, well, I don't know about that. I'm a pretty humble guy. And despite our best efforts to convince him that the statement he had just made was rooted in pride, he continued to boldly declare that he was the most humble guy on our crew. In fact, he unashamedly made the proclamation that he was more humble than probably any guy that he knew. And at that point, Zach and I, we had to give up. We were like, I, I don't know if we can actually convince him. And this is, uh, we are answering a fool according to his folly at this point. But I can't think of a single proverb that clearly defines for us what humility is. And, and I can't think of a proverb that clearly defines what pride is. What the Proverbs really seem to do is describe, is to describe the benefits of humility and the outcomes of the curses that pride will lead you to. Like Proverbs chapter 11, verse two says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace but with the humble is wisdom. When it comes to defining humility, like most things, I think C.S. Lewis does it best when he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. We often think that being humble means you should have a low opinion of yourself. Now, in some ways, I think that we should or we could have a low opinion of ourselves and be correct. Like if we have not experienced the grace of God in our life, that could lead us to feeling hopeless. And you would be right until you find your hope in Jesus. That would result in a low opinion. But if Jesus is our example in everything, and we know that he perfectly exemplified humility, then we shouldn't think negatively of ourselves if he has redeemed us. Because Jesus didn't think negatively of himself. Jesus actually lived the most victorious life. The word says that he makes us more than conquerors. His spirit gives us the power and the ability to overcome. Jesus' humility didn't make him think that everyone around him was better than he was. Humility causes us to see things as they are. Humility causes us to see things from God's perspective. So if you have a bad opinion of yourself, that's not the heart of biblical humility. But when we start putting others before ourselves with this proper definition, then we see that Jesus was actually the most humble because he always put his father's will first. At all times, in all circumstances, he did what he saw the father doing. 
Jesus sacrificed the most for the least deserving. Jesus always put others before himself. Biblical humility is not ultimately about lowering yourself, but humility is about lifting up those around you, serving in areas and in ways that are truly sacrificial. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter two, verse three. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to their own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't write in humility, count yourselves as lower than everyone else. He doesn't say, count yourselves as of less significance than everyone else. He writes that we should, in humility, value others as more than ourselves. The emphasis isn't on our lowness. The emphasis isn't on our lack of significance. Humility focuses on the needs of others. Humility focuses on my neighbor's well-being. Count others more significant than yourself. Not put yourself down to make yourself lower than everyone around you. Not because others are far more valuable than you, but because that's the mindset of humility. The mindset of humility is putting others before yourself. That's why Christ was the most humble, not, the, not my coworker. It wasn't because he was less than, but it was because he was able to put others ahead of himself. When we have a bad understanding of what humility really is, then we end up with a false sense of humility. Like when we are intentionally putting ourselves down as a way of lifting ourselves up in the eyes of others. Now, this is a really hard word for me because I, if you know me well enough, you know that I love self-deprecating humor. Now, I think that I have a proper perspective about this. I think that I actually see things the way that they really are, but I like to make people laugh. And self-deprecating humor is easy and it's a disarming way to do that. And you know, then I can get to know you and know whether I can make fun of you or not. Um, but really, this has made me contemplate how much of my self-deprecating humor do I actually believe? And I've had to wrestle with this. I was like, maybe, maybe by being self-deprecating, maybe I'm actually operating in a false sense of humility and maybe this is actually just pride because that's all false humility is. It's just pride. And it shows up when we try to highlight our own sinfulness, when we try to highlight our own unworthiness without the hope of the transformative power of Jesus Christ in our life. False humility focuses on our sin and it doesn't focus on displaying the power of the gospel lived out and walked out in our life. True humility is about focusing on other people. When we put ourselves down, when we call ourselves names, when we speak lies over ourselves, we are focusing on ourself, which is pride. Humility looks towards Christ. Now there are times when I think it is appropriate to highlight our own weakness, but only to draw attention to the power of the gospel in our life, not our own feelings, 
not our own failings. Paul did it. He claimed that he was the chief among sinners. He was the worst of all, but he did it with the purpose of highlighting the greatness of Jesus Christ. A humble person doesn't think less of themselves, but they think of themselves less. They submit to the Lord and they seek the well-being of others. Proverbs really highlight the outcomes of pride and humility, which is the next key to the pursuit of humility. We have to understand the outcomes when it comes to pride and humility. One of the main teaching tools that the Lord uses throughout scripture are if-then promises, promises of rewards and punishments. Promises of, if you sow in this way, you will either reap a blessing or a curse. If we do good, we will reap good. God has designed us to be motivated by rewards. That's why I promised Jeremiah every Sunday, I'm going to give him a piece of candy after church if he does a good job. And he does a great job every Sunday. God created a world that is based on the principle of reaping and sowing. I know I owe you a lot of candy. The the rewards are ultimately in the Lord. They ultimately bring the Lord glory. But we are still motivated by rewards. Even in Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches that we need to have the right motivations when we are doing good works, when we are serving, when we are doing good deeds. He tells us to give without letting other people see it. He says to pray without trying to impress others, to fast without putting on a show. But after all of this, you know what Jesus tells us? He says, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Jesus motivates us to do well by reminding us of the rewards that we will receive if we do. Jesus received a reward. He didn't want to go to the cross. Uh, It says that he despised the shame of the cross, but he went to the cross. Hebrews tells us that there was a reward. There was joy that was set before Jesus. There was a reward of joy knowing all that would come into his kingdom, that he would provide a way of salvation for all of you. For us to overcome the temptation of pride in our life, we must take hold of a greater promise of a reward. There's promises given to us. There are reward, There are promises of rewards when we Seek humility. Proverbs 22.4 tells us the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Humility is essential. It's essential in receiving a blessing from the Lord. The South African pastor and author from the 19th century, Andrew Murray, he once said, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. To truly pursue humility, 
we must seek first the kingdom of God. Peter and James both seem to echo Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 in their New Testament writing when they write that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It all begins with God. God opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. If we want to be humble in this life, we start by setting our purposes on the Lord. We don't live in a world all by ourselves. We don't live in a world that we created. We don't live in a world that is absent from God. God is on the throne. God is the one running the show. Pride is rooted in the belief that God is not God. Pride asserts you yourself that you are the Lord of your life. Pride is simply the worship of yourself. We must be seeking the Lord, not ourselves. When we try to control things, when we start to get anxious, when we worry about things that are beyond our control, things happening on the other side of the world, or things that cause us to feel insecure in our own little world. Those are acts of thinking of yourself more highly than scripture prescribes. It's pride to worry about what we're gonna eat or what we're gonna drink. Will we have enough money to buy clothes? Is the Lord gonna meet my needs? Am I gonna have enough money to pay these bills? Jesus spoke of the anxieties that we face in the midst of uncertain times. He said in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Humility is important because it's essential for every aspect of living the Christian life. It takes humility for you to trust that God will supply all of your needs. It takes humility for you to not seek your own security. Humility is the type of soil for our life, for our faith to actually grow in. Humility creates an atmosphere, a culture around you that welcomes God's blessing in your life. If you want to be highly effective for the Lord in this life, if you want to be used by God in great ways, it starts by understanding what humility is and being a humble servant of God, being willing to submit your life to Jesus Christ. Pursuing humility requires us to accept that we don't know everything and submit to Jesus instead of seeking our own desires. We can't truly have authentic, spirit-filled love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control unless we are submitted to Jesus. And if we submit ourselves to Jesus, we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue the kingdom of God. Can you imagine a world where we all sought humility?
We wouldn't see wars like the one we're seeing across the country, across the world right now. You know, there's a great spiritual battle playing out in the physical right now. And it's just rooted in pride. I'm gonna boil something down to some simple terms. And it's actually very complex. It's very nuanced. But I'm gonna tell it to you in very simple terms. Hamas is proud. Israel is proud. Now I believe as believers, we should stand with Israel because there are theological implications to us aligning with Israel. But that does not mean that every decision that they make is a holy one. With 2% of their population, less than 2% of their population being born again believers, we know that their population actually lives in rebellion to the Lord. We don't have to defend everything that they do. You can stand with Israel and you don't have to defend every choice that they make. I pray for peace in Israel regularly in my life. We should pray for peace for both sides. We should pray for humility and understanding for both sides. There are evil people doing evil things on both sides of this war. And there are innocent people dying on both sides of this war. We should be praying for supernatural salvation, supernatural encounters with Jesus for people on both sides of this war, that they would know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would throw down their guns and they would live in peace with each other. This is the type of thing that happens when not just people, but leaders of nations think of themselves more highly than they ought to. And they think of others around them less. If we thought of ourselves less and we preferred others as more significant than ourselves, this spirit of violence that is overtaking the masses of our world, it would be overcome. The spirit of humility would spread peace throughout the world. What would it look like in your life, not across the world, but just in your life, if you put humility more into practice? If you were more humble in the way that you raised your kids? If you sought more humility when it came to the way you handle your finances? When you talk to the person who slighted you? What would it look like if you approached them with more humility instead of letting them know boldly how you felt about what they did or said? What would it look like if you interacted with your spouse with more humility? Do you think we would see less conflict even in our own lives? can come up. Jesus has set us free. Jesus has set us free from being ensnared by pride. Jesus has set you free from a spirit of violence overtaking your life. We were all once held in bondage to the power of sin and death. 
But by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, we have all been set free. We are no longer forsaken. Let's stand right now. Let's proclaim that in this last song of worship. Let's proclaim it in victory. Let's go out of here in humility and live the victorious Christian life that we were promised. Amen.